I looked at him and I went, so the guys that made the Hangover movies are going to make a movie about your life and you're not going to make a dime on it. And he goes, oh, you can tell now he's starting to get worried. You understand what those movies are? I go, they're going to make a movie called Dude, Where's My Hand Grenade? And they're going to make you look like an idiot. Hey, this is Matt Cox, and we're going over part six in the videos uh, about me, uh, basically my prison experience. Is that what we're going to call it? Like my prison experience. So at this point, I just went from the medium security prison to the low security prison. I've been locked up. I was locked up three years in the medium security prison. I was locked up one year in the marshal's holdover or multiple marshal's holdover. But so far I've been in prison like four years. Listen, it's been four years and I really like there's an issue. Like I, I'm, I'm at the point now where I realize that I'm not, you know, I'm not going to get my sentence reduced. Like that's really where, where I'm, I'm, I'm at. Like it's, it's at that point. So, I, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm at the prison and did I tell you that, did I mention, ever mention that this is when the FBI starts showing up, like they showed up at the medium one time. I think I, they showed up one time, like at the medium anyway. So I'm now at the, the low security prison and I'm at the low and I basically go to I go to the education department. I, I actually know some guys from the medium that have gone to the low now at this point. So I see some of those guys. One of those guys was this guy, Kevin Weeks. I mentioned him in another video. And I remember he started shaving. He was super smart, really sharp guy. He had started shaving his head completely bald because he was going bald and his hair was thinning. And he start, he shaved his head for like a six months or something. And he looked like... um. Shoot, what is the guy? What is Superman's nemesis? Lex Luthor. Kevin Weeks looked like what Lex Luthor. And I remember everybody started calling him Lex Luthor. As a matter of fact, in my phone, I have a picture of Lex Luthor. So on him for his phone number. My point is, is that I'm in the low and I go to education and I meet the guy who's teaching the real estate class. And when I, I meet him, we talk and he's teaching the class. And I think after a couple months went by, he came to me and he said, look, I don't want to teach the class anymore because you can't like I can't go in. You can't teach two classes. And the second thing is, you know, I didn't want to take like what am I how am I there's no way for me to take over his class like he has to give it up. So he says comes to me and he says, listen, man, I don't want to teach the class anymore. I've been focusing on my on my uh, case. And he had a case where he had uh, he was in real estate, too. It's amazing how many real estate guys. And there's really very few real estate guys, but it just so happens that they click up right away. So I meet him and I start taking over the real estate class and it immediately people start coming and it becomes the same thing all over again. The difference was at the, at the medium, you could teach a class where I could teach some kind of gray stuff like gray areas. And in the low, you can't teach any gray areas because in the low, it's really just packed with guys that are desperate to get out of prison. They're all non, not all nonviolent, but most of them are nonviolent and they just, they don't want to be there. Like they don't want to be in prison. 
and uh, you know, and they're they're telling on each other left and right. Not that they aren't at the medium, but the me- medium it could go bad for you. Like you could get stabbed, and at the low, like there's. It's funny because I hate to say this because there were stabbings at the low. There were guys cutting each other with razors, and there were attacks, and there were there's all kinds of stuff happening at the low, but uh, it just wasn't as tense of an environment, and it was what's called a. Uh, it was there were there were controlled moves, but it was it was also an open compound. So during the day they had controlled moves where you had to at the beginning of the each hour towards the beginning of each hour you had like ten minutes to get to where you were going. But after chow, like after you ate lunch or dinner at like five or six o'clock, it was an open compound until they closed the compound at nine o'clock. Which means that the, all the doors were open. And you could walk around the compound. They closed the rec yard, but everything else was open. So I'm at the low, and I, I end up teaching the real estate class again. And I decide at that point, and I already said, like, I'd been on American Greed. I'd been on Dateline. Um, I had a reporter contact me. And he wrote an article on me, and I, I would get reporters every once in a while. And I was contacted by some of these TV shows. Um, I was contacted by, like, uh, who was I contacted by? There was a TV show called I Almost Got Away With It. Um, I was contacted by another TV show that had been started uh, by the same people who did Dateline. You know, but, but the thing is, they, you know, they couldn't interview me. Uh, they could in- interview me on the, on the phone, but they couldn't come and see me. So, so that never happened. Oh, I was inter- uh, was contacted by uh, the show. Um, shoot, what was it called? Um, uh, Locked up abroad. Still, they couldn't get cameras in, so they they just said they were like, "Yeah, okay, we we're, we thought we could get cameras in to do do your um, to to interview you on film, but if we can't, we're not interested in doing a, a piece on you." But by this point, I realized like there's a lot of interest in my case. And so I decide, you know, what I'm going to do is I, I've been reading nonstop. Like I've been reading two, two books a week, at least two books a week. Well, one or two books a week um, for three years now. So I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start writing my story. So I start writing my story. And I wrote a version, you know, I wrote my story and it was about 300 pages. You know, it was actually more than that typed on a Swintech typewriter and you know handwritten and everything but in the end it was roughly about at that point it was roughly 300 pages so which 300 pages roughly 90,000 words maybe a little bit more um and I started le- letting guys read it and you know they were like oh you know this could be better this you know they'll they'll tell you different things and then I actually wanted to start sending it off. And I, I, I got a book sent in called um, How to Write Query Letters. And it was the, it was all, and I also got a, a letter in called the uh, Literary Agent's Guide. So you, you really can't go directly to like someone like Simon & Schuster. If someone like Simon & Schuster or Penguin Books or whoever, they, if they would come to you or like, so there's like the big, you know, there's Doubleday and those kinds of big companies. They, they would, if they came to you and said, we want you to write your book or we want you as a writer, or we want to hire someone to write your book. That's really how it, it works. But if you say, hey, I've written a book and I want to contact these people, you really can't go directly to like Simon & Schuster because they're so big. They don't really deal with authors individually. They deal with literary agents. 
So I needed to contact a literary agent. So first thing I did was I wrote my book. I then learned how to re write what's called a query letter. So I wrote a query letter and the query letter was, and if I don't say so you know, myself, I hate to say this, but it was great. Like I wrote a really great query letter and I sent off, gosh, a hundred of them and got maybe a couple people that were interested and I mailed them the manuscript and one woman, I worked with her back and forth for maybe a few months, a month or two, but it, I came to the conclusion that I just wasn't going to be able to polish up the the actual manuscript good enough for her to be happy. Uh, and the other person, like it was, I, it just didn't go anywhere. So I contacted my sister and I said, because my sister had told me that she had a friend that worked in entertainment as an entertainment agent and he had represented a bunch of comedians and uh i forget the name of the comedian that was in the movie um deuce bigelow there was a black guy that plays the gigolo he represented him he represented a bunch of guys and he represented a bunch of of um sports stars uh, you know, baseball, football players. And he also represented um, um, some radio personalities show guys called uh, Ron and Ron. So he represented – this guy's name was uh, – um, his name was Ross Reback. So Ross Reback was like an, like an entertainment agent. And if you, know, if you know anything about the entertainment a, uh, industry, what constitutes a, an entertainment agent – an entertainment agent – is absolutely nothing. Like there's no license or anything. You can just say, hey, I'm an entertainment agent. So Ross was an entertainment agent and he actually worked on a bunch of stuff and he'd actually sold several ideas for uh, TV shows. He had also sold um, or optioned the rights to uh, like I think one or two books. One of the books was um, – Mob Lawyer. There's a book called Mob Lawyer, which he had uh, he'd optioned it the rights to pitch the story, uh, the the film rights for the book from to from the um the family, the lawyer's family, because the lawyer had actually died. He'd written the book when he retired, and then he died. So Ross was trying to get that turned into a movie. So I contact my sister and say, "Hey, I understand that you got you and my brother-in-law, which my." Sister is more married to a lawyer, and his name's Jack. So I said, I understand that you and Jack, um, know you said you knew a, an entertainment lawyer that wanted to talk to me. He'd actually told Ross had actually told my brother-in-law he wanted to meet me and talk to me about my story, but I I hadn't really pursued it. So once I wrote the the book and I wasn't getting anywhere, I said, Hey, look, you know, I need a literary agent. To my sister and I called her and I said, I need a literary agent. And you said you knew somebody who was in, in entertainment. And she goes, well, you know what? It's funny. I can call him. I can have my, Jack call him. I, I know he wanted to talk to you. So I end up sending Ross Reback my manuscript. He looks at the manuscript. He reads it. He then schedules a time to come visit me. He and my brother-in-law come to Coleman to visit me. So they come to the low. And I meet them at the low and Ross comes in and I said, Hey Ross, what's going on? You know, did you read the book? He said, yeah. And he said, uh, I said, okay. He said, well, why do you think he said, why do you think I'm here? I said, well, I'm assuming you're here because you want to represent me. And he said, 
you know, I think you have an amazing story. And I read your story. He said, and your story is absolutely amazing. He said, but at the end of the story, like, you're just a psychopath that got 26 years in prison and I don't care about you. And I went like, wow, that was like, he drove like an hour and a half to get here to tell me that. So I said, wow. I said, that's not what I expected at all. He said, you have a great story, but you didn't tell it great. He goes, you don't talk about your childhood or anything like that or the things that helped make you the person you are that ended up doing all of these crimes. And I went, ah, I know, but nobody wants to hear me cry and bitch and moan and nobody wants to hear that stuff because you're wrong about that. I want to hear about that. People want to hear about that. People want to know who you really are. You don't touch on that at all. It's really just a – he said it reads almost like a newspaper article. It's like it's one criminal event after another after another. You're just documenting it. He goes, I don't need to document it. He goes, if, you want, if I want to read the documentation, he goes, I can just read the articles about you. He said, you have to rewrite that book. And I went, bro, it took me like six months to a year to write that book. And he said, you're going to have to rewrite it. And he said, I'm going to send you some books. So he sent me some books. Uh, one was like, um, you know, like True Crime for Dummies. One was uh, How to Write Nonfiction for Dummies. And then I, I actually, actually somebody had seen me reading these books and the, the Four Dummies series and the, oh no, The Idiot's Guide to True Crime Writing or something like that. Like those sound horrible, like, but they're actually all great books written by, by uh really accomplished writers. Hey, if you guys didn't know, I also do, I do paintings. And uh, if you're interested in a painting, I'm going to leave my contact information in the description beneath the video. Back to the video. So I end up getting that and I end up, somebody in another unit knew I was writing and came to me and gave me a book. I remember it was probably 90 pages, maybe a hundred, less than a hundred, probably less than a hundred pages. It was a little tiny book. And I remember it was called forget what it was called. I never can remember what it was called, but it was written by a woman who'd written three memoirs about her life, three memoirs about her life. And I read it in like a day and it was the best book out of all the books I read on how to write. It was the best one. So I then have to rewrite my entire book and I end up going back and including stuff about my childhood, stuff about my dad, stuff about um, just things that f helped form my personality, form my my belief system, things that helped create the person that actually committed the crimes that I committed and gave reasons for why. Whether these are the actual reasons or not, it's what I believed helped formulate the person that I am. You know, And I hated putting those things in that book because specifically um, – you know, I had met guys that really had traumatic – by this point in life or in my prison sentence, I'd met guys that truly had had horrific um, upbringings, guys that had been, you know, burned by their parents, um, beaten by their parents, tied up, abandoned, starved to death, locked in closets, the guys that had had truly, truly horrible, um, uh, you know, childhoods. And so for me to bitch because my dad, you know, didn't really, you know, want me, um, I wasn't really the, the, the son that he wanted or because I never really felt like he – I lived up to his ex, uh, expectations or because I was a disappointment to him or, you know, to bitch about those things made me feel, you know, like a uh, – just like a, like a fake.
like, you know, unappreciative for the fact that I grew up middle class and that so what if you had a bad childhood, you still had a, a car when you were 16 and you still were able to go to private schools for because I had a learning disability and, you know, you still had a mother that loved you and, you know, that sort of thing. So but I put those things in there. Um, I realized that I shouldn't diminish those things simply because I felt other people had it worse because certainly other people had it better. So I put those things in there and I rewrote the book and it, man, it took me like three months to rewrite that book. And I sent it to Ross and he scheduled a time to come out with me again. And he came out and he said, this book is amazing. He said, this is a book that can get published. This is a book that could be a movie. This is phenomenal. Your story is amazing. My story hadn't changed. The only thing that changed was me putting in like, how did I feel when I walked in the bank? How did I feel when I walked out of the bank with a check? How did I, you know, and about things about my childhood and about my, my, my relationship with my parents, my siblings, my girlfriends. Like I didn't really have anything before about my girlfriends, the, you know, events that were, had occurred. So he said, yeah, it needed to be more personal stuff. So I, I had included that. And so he loved the book. And he wanted to represent me on the book. And what I what I decided was, you know, I absolutely wanted to go with Ross. And I thought Ross was a great guy. And so I, Ross said he was going to, you know, he wanted to represent me on that, on the on my memoir, which my book's called, you know, Shark in the Housing Pool. So while that process was going on. I was wrapping up final edits for Ross and he had sent me final edits. Um, and he had decided he was going to start contacting literary agents or I'm sorry, he was going to start contacting publishers. You know, I, um, I ended up, I kind of decided I was going to start writing other inmate stories because I really liked writing. Like it was a, it, it gave me a real feeling of accomplishment. Like I enjoyed it. And so at the same time as I was wrapping that up, I had gotten, there was a newspaper, there was a, an article in Rolling Stone magazine um, about, it, it was, it was, it was called a um, dudes and no arms and dudes. It was called arms and dudes. And so I was like, okay, arms and dudes. And I read it and it was about these two stoner kids that these two Jewish kids that were stoners in Miami that had kind of stumbled their way into getting a contract to supply mu ammunition to the Afghan security forces for it was they always say a three hundred million dollar contract, but it was actually two hundred ninety eight million. The point is, so roughly a three hundred million dollar contract to supply munitions for the Afghan security forces, but the U.S. government was the one that was paying them. And, and collecting. So even though the money was going to or the ammunition was going to end up in the Afghanis security forces hands, it was actually the U.S. government that had put out the contract. They bid on it. They got the contract and they were getting paid by the government. So um, the main kid, there were two guys. One was uh, David Packhouse and one was guy's name was Ephraim Deveroli. Well, Ephraim Deveroli had ended up um, he, he, Everett Deveroli had ended up in Coleman Low. He's got like six years, three years, no, four years, three, four. I don't know. What I know is I think he got four years. 
Yeah, I think he got four years. Maybe, whatever. That's, that's irrelevant. If you're interested, look it up. So he got some time. He got like roughly, whatever, four or five years. So he came to the low. And while I was standing in line, I was standing in line one time with this guy. And I read the article maybe a week ago by the same guy that gave me the article. And all of a sudden, the guy I'm standing with in line waiting for chow, waiting for a, a lunch or dinner, he hits me and he goes, hey, bro. He says, see that guy over there? And I go, yeah. He was the guy with the curly hair. And I went, yeah. He goes, that's that from Deveroli. And I went, who? He goes, remember the article I gave you in Rolling Stone magazine? I went, yeah. He goes, that's the guy. I go, the gun runner? And he goes, that's the gun runner. And I was like, holy shit. He got so fat. Like he was real fat. Um, and I was like, oh my God. I said, that's him? And he goes, yeah, bro. He said he got here a couple days ago. And I was like, oh, wow. I said, what a great story. Um, and so we're walking and – the guy, the guy's name was Chris. Chris goes, bro, you need to talk to him. And I went, about what? And he goes, about writing a story. And I went, yeah, you know, you're right. And I kind of decided I liked that and I thought about doing it. And I went, yeah, I should talk to him. Maybe I should. So I went a couple days later. I found Deveroli on the rec yard. And I went up to him. I said, hey, what's your, your name? Uh, you're Deveroli, right? And he goes, yeah. And I said, listen, man. Uh, I said, my name's Cox. And uh I read that article in Rolling Stone. It was a great article. And he goes, yeah, he was that cocksucker, the, the guy that wrote it. He goes, said I was a greedy bastard. He goes, if you think that's great. And I went, well, I didn't see it that way. I thought it was great. It was just that you guys were able to get the contract and just the way the whole thing unraveled. I thought it was an amazing story. And he goes, yeah, well, yeah, it was, it's pretty good. But they really did a hatchet job on me. Like, you know, this was guys a com fucking complainer. So I said, I said, well, he goes, well, what's up, bro? I said, well, I was wondering if you were had considered writing a book and he goes, nah, he's man, I'm, I'm, you know, he's, I got ADHD. He said, I'm bipolar. He said, I'm up and down. I got mood swings. He says, there's just no way I could focus long enough to write a story. I said, well, I just, I'm finishing up my book right now. If you want, I could help you write an outline and you could send that to a ghostwriter on the street. And he went, well, yeah, I guess. He goes, I said, I mean, if you're thinking you can't do it, maybe you could just hire somebody. I said, it sounds to me like you probably still have money and ghostwriters don't cost but between $15,000 and maybe $45,000. You probably get a ghostwriter to do it for twenty or thirty. At this point, I said, you have so much publicity and when you get out, you're going to have a ton of publicity. I said, and if you wrote a book, there would probably be tons of publicity on the book. I said, it really shouldn't be that hard. I said, I'm in the process right now of trying to get my stuff done. If you And I just wrote my book and I'd be or finishing it up. I, I was doing some final edits. And I said, if you're willing, I'd be willing to help you. And he goes, he kind of looked at me weary and he was like, eh, I don't know, I'll think about it, bro. I'll think about it. Like he was like, he didn't trust me or something. He was just, and he's a very untrustful person in general. So he goes, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. I said, okay, well, let me know. So I leave. Um, Anyway, like a couple of days later, I see him on the compound. We're walking by, and I said, hey, what's up? He goes, I'm still thinking about it, bro. And he keeps walking. A week, another week goes by. Another week goes by. And and by this point, you know, it's been months. You know, months go by. And then one day I see him, and I I – I said, hey, I said, uh, you know, hey, what's up? He goes, hey, bro, wait a minute. I've been looking for you. Stop. And I go, what's up? He goes, he said, did you hear that they sold the article in Rolling Stone? They optioned the rights to it. They're going to make a movie. And I looked at him and I went, 
But the article wasn't written from Ephraim Devaroli's perspective. It was written from David Pakow's perspective. And David Pakow's had made Devaroli sound, I don't think he made him sound that bad, to be honest. But the article was written in such a way that they basically both sounded like stoners who were kind of buffoons. And I went and, and he he's when we talked in the rec yard, he had told me that he didn't like that. He didn't like that. It made them him sound like a fucking stoner, like he was an idiot of some kind. Like he was like, oh, dude, like like they they, they like they, they bumbled their way into the contract because after talking with Dev Rowley, he was he wasn't that guy. He was a very driven person. Um, and he granted he was all over the place, but he was extremely aggressive. So. I had stopped him and I went. Really? I said, well, who bought it? And he goes, yeah, he said, um, oh, God, I forget. It was like, I forget who bought it, The exact, but it, it basically, I forget the name of it. It was essentially, though, it was the guys, it it was uh, Todd, um, Todd Phillips, which is the guy who made the Hangover movies. So Todd Phillips and um, Bradley Cooper had purchased the the film rights and the life rights to or sorry the film rights and the life rights for the story and from David Packhaus. And so I looked at him and I went, so the guys that made the hangover movies are going to make a movie about your life. And he goes, yeah, bro, yeah. Pretty cool, right? And I went, and you're not going to make a dime on it. And there, I said, do you understand? Have you seen the Hangover movies? And he goes, uh, you can tell now he's starting to get worried. He's like, oh, uh, yeah, I've seen them. I go, do you understand what they make? Do you understand what those movies are? I go, they're going to make a movie called Dude, Where's My Hand Grenade? And they're going to make you look like an idiot. You're going to look like David Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which is I'm sure nobody, people that are watching this are probably in their 20s and 30s and don't know what Fast Times at Ridgemont High is. Do you? Fast Times at Ridgemont High is a, it's a coming of age story um, that takes place with several kids that are graduating like high school. And one guy is a complete stoner. Like he gets a pizza delivered to the class. While he's in class, he he's stoned all the time. He's like, oh, dude, bro, like, what's up, man? Like, oh, that's crazy. Yo. I mean, just a, a complete stoner, like the quintessential stoner straight out of central casting is uh, David Spicoli. So and I looked at him and I go, you're going to be David Spicoli from Fast, Time at, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. They're going to make you look like an idiot. And I said, you have to. You're going to get out of prison in a couple of years, and you're probably going to want to go back into business, right? And he went, yeah. And I said, you're going to say – you're going to introduce yourself to people as Ephraim Devaroli, and they're going to snicker. That would be like me introducing myself as David Spicoli. If I did that to a fifth, another 50-year-old, my, my generation, they would laugh. They'd go, are you serious, bro? Like they would immediately laugh. And I said – and but Devaroli knew who David Spicoli was. He was not that much. He's he's younger than me, but 
you know, not that much younger. And he went, the look on his face was like, holy shit. He hadn't even considered that if he didn't like the article, what was he going to like when Todd Phillips got done with him? What was he going to look like when Todd Phillips got got done making him look like a fool? And so and I looked at him and I said, bro, you're going to look like an idiot. And he goes, yo, man, he said, um, and, I, and I, he goes, man, I went all and you're going to look like an idiot because you can't meet me once or twice a week so that we can write an outline of your story so you can write a short book so you can get a movie made. I said, that movie should be being made from your perspective because I said, it's really your story. But they're not going to tell your version of the story. They're going to tell David Packhouse's version. And you have to understand there's nothing he could do about it because it was public record. He'd been convicted of a crime, and those records are public. He'd been in the newspaper. His name had been in the newspaper. So they can now use his name and his likeness as long as they stay close to the truth. There's nothing he can do. Now, he can sue, and he can, but he has to have a grounds to sue. And simply saying, hey, you used my name and you weren't accurate in your depiction of me isn't really enough. Like it is, but it isn't. Like you could sue, but you probably wouldn't get very far. Hey, I wanted to let you guys know that I have a Patreon account. If you're interested in joining the Patreon account, it's got three tiers. The top tier, you actually get a different con man painting every single month. If you're already joined and you're already supporting me, I really appreciate that. If you haven't joined yet and you're interested in joining, I'm going to leave the contact information for Patreon in the description. Thank you very much for watching the video. Back to the video. So what he does is he looks at me and he says, man, what, how quickly can we meet? How quickly can we meet? And I went, I mean, we can meet tonight. He goes, bro, let's meet tonight and we'll work out a deal and, and, and you start writing. How quickly can you write? I said, I don't know. How much of your stuff do you have? You mean, I, I got everything. I got a great memory. I can tell you all the dates, times, everything you need. Because, you know, what I'd been doing, like for my own case, I figured out how to order something called the Freedom of Information Act. And that basically allows you to go in. So there's a federal Freedom of Information Act, which allows you to go to any federal agency and order any document that they have on you. So I was able to do that. And you can also go to all of the states have a Freedom of Public Records Act, which allows you, any person, to order documents on any individual that's been, let's say, arrested or investigated. And they have to provide those documents for you. So I'd been ordering documents on myself, and I, I told him, I said, well, I might have to order the documents on you, and that might take some time. And he goes, no, no, bro. I have a great memory. I know when all the dates are. I know all of the amounts. I know my case inside and out. And he goes, plus, I have all the files in my case, in my legal locker, and in boxes underneath my bed. So um, he had everything. So I said, bro, if that's the case, I could probably write your whole outline in a month or so. He goes, all right, let's meet tonight. So we start meeting. We meet every other night for for probably two or three weeks. In the meantime, and, and I write a, an extensive um, outline on, uh, on him and his entire story. And it's a great story. It's a story that's so much better than that movie is or probably could have ever been. 
It was just a great story. It really should be an entire series. It's so phenomenal. And what's really amazing is that this guy, David, the David Packowls, who the movie ultimately kind of gets written from his perspective, he comes in at the very kind of the very end. Like the movie and the article make it sound like they started the company together and they were together the whole time. But the truth is Devaroli had been doing had been fulfilling contracts for years prior to Pacquiao's coming in. So Pacquiao's doesn't really know the whole story. He knows his story, but he doesn't know Devaroli's story. Devaroli's story is phenomenal. And I realize this right away as I'm writing the story. He's also a much more vicious character than was portrayed by um, Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill plays him in the movies, in the movie. And he's a much more vicious person and much more aggressive person than the article or the movie portray him as. I mean, he's truly a, a, a cutthroat person. I mean, just ruthless. Um, so while I'm writing that story or writing his outline, as I get to the end of the outline, Devaroli says, Matt, can you – I got a question for you. I said, well, he said, did you finish your book? And I said, yeah, yeah, I basically just finished it, just got it sent in. I'm still kind of reading over it, maybe doing some touch-up, typos, whatever. Um, and I was waiting for Ross Reback to come see me again, which was a few weeks away. And I said, uh, he, he sat there and he goes, okay. He said, um, can I read it? And I went, uh, yeah, you can read it. And he goes, okay, yeah, give it to me, bro. I, I'll read it. I said, okay. So I go and I give him the book and I give him my manuscript. Manuscript was like, God, the manuscript was big too. Like the, the book ultimately ended up being like 330 pages, I think. The manuscript was like 400 and some odd pages, but it's just because the formatting was fucked up. Was it was the lettering was too big and there were spaces so that I could write notes. And so I gave it to him. And maybe a, a week, less than a week goes by, maybe. And I remember he, I kept asking him, like, hey, did you start the book? No, not yet, bro. Next day, hey, man, did you start the book? No, not yet. And I'd walk by him in the compound, see, or I'd see him in the chow hall or something. I'd go, man, did you, read, did you start the book? And he goes, nah, I'm going to do it tonight. I'm going to do it tonight. And so it's like three or four days went by. He hadn't started it. And then one day I stopped asking him like two, two, three days later, he shows up and walks up with it with the book. Boom, puts it down. And he said, we're supposed to meet to go over some of the stuff on his outline. He goes, how much? And I went, what? He goes, how much? What would you charge me to write my book? He said, what you wrote is amazing. He goes, that's the best thing I've ever read in my entire life. And I go, are you serious? He goes, I want you to write my book. I'm, he's, I'm telling you, man, like that's what I want. That is what I want. He's like, like you say, you say it exactly how it is. You describe yourself exactly how you are. He goes, and on top of that, he said, you said some bad stuff about yourself. Like you admitted that you're a flawed individual. However, in overall, he said, I rooted for you. I wanted you to succeed. I was, he said, I was devastated when you got caught, even though I knew it was coming. He said, you were a flawed person, but overall an amazing individual. He goes, and that's what I want people to know about me. And I went, I was just like, wow. I said, uh. I don't know. Like I, I probably like want a percentage of the book. Like I want, I just want a percentage of whatever sales or whatever you get, um, you know, film rights, like the whole thing. And he's like, okay, okay. He said, we can do that. 
And he said, okay. Um, uh, he said, yeah, man. He said, uh, and he said, I don't really know how it works. Like how, how exactly was it going to work? And I said, okay, well, I, I said, you could get a literary agent, but I said, you could go with my literary agent. I said, I have a literary agent that come, is coming to see me in a couple of weeks. And so we work out a deal and I, I told him he, he had to pay me because I had to type the whole thing up in what's called core links, which is our, our, it's like a, uh, an email system sort of like an email system. Like I said, I have to type everything up and I have to, I was already typing his outline. So I said, you have to like basically send me money and so I can type everything up. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to put you in contact with my sister and uh, I'm going to give you all the documents. And he said, but we got to do this right away because he's like, I'm going to be moving in a few months. Like, you have to write this whole thing in a few months. I was like, oh, wow. I don't know if I can do it in a few months. So he and I start working everything out and he ends up saying, look, I'm going to I got to get a, uh, an entertainment attorney to write up a contract. Uh, can we start now? I can put money on your books for you to start typing. And I was like, here's the great thing was the great thing was I had just kind of finished up or was roughly finishing up within a week or so his outline. And I'd written this exhaustive, like 80 page outline. Like I only have to really expand this outline that I'd written over the last month or two. So it wasn't going to be that hard. Like I don't really even need him anymore. I just need the documents. I'd heard the stories. Um, I mean, 80 pages, if you turn 80 pages into, let's say 300 pages, it's not that hard to expand. Uh, anyway, um, I had, so I had it and I was thrilled and I was like, oh my God, this is great. Cause I knew this was going to be a good book. And not just that, there was a chance that this book could be turned into a movie or a series because although they had sold the film rights to the article, which had been written in Rolling Stone magazine by a guy named Guy Lawson, although they had sold the film rights, they hadn't actually done anything yet. Like there was no, there was no script or anything yet. So nothing had been done. Like it was still a chance that we could – kind of get ahead of 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 the the film that was supposedly pot in motion like you they haven't even got a script so if you move a little faster maybe you get your stuff made i didn't really know how it worked but i knew that at the very least he could get a probably a, get a book deal and the reason i say that also is that the, there was a book so Guy lawson who wrote written the rolling stone article was expanding his article into a full-length book that wasn't even scheduled to be come out to come out for like a year. So I had time. So I end up getting putting Devaroli in touch with my literary agent, and we schedule a time for all of us to meet in the visitation. Now keep in mind that he couldn't just meet with with Reback without me, okay? Because you have to say you have an, when you fill out paperwork, you have to be able to, you have to say you have an existing relationship with the person. And Reback had lied on his, well, Reback had come in the first time with my brother-in-law and that got him approved to come see me. So he's already approved. But he can't get approved to come see Devaroli. So we schedule it so that Devaroli is going to 
have his mother and sister and his brother come to see him the same day that Reback's going to come see me. So we'll all be in the visitation area at the same time. And so we can all sit together and have a conversation so that they can meet in person. And basically so that Reback can kind of pitch himself on who he is and why he, what he thinks he can do for Devaroli. We're already at 40 minutes, so I'm going to wrap this up and I'll explain what happens in that meeting and how that whole thing kind of evolves with me writing the, the story for Devaroli. The name of his the name of his book, by the way, is called uh, The Book That I Wrote For Him. It's a memoir, so I wrote it in first person as him, as if he wrote it, which he didn't. Um, and it was called – it's called um, Once a Gunrunner. And it's it's amazing. It's an amazing story. Um, I believe he still has it up on uh, – I think there's an e-book, an e-version. Um, anyway, I, I'll tell you how the whole thing plays out. So I ended up writing this whole book for him and uh, – but yeah, uh, so I'll talk to you about the fir- our first meeting and about how the Devaroli things and the ne- uh, how the Devaroli thing works out and our first meeting with Ross in the next video. So I appreciate you guys watching. Please subscribe to the channel. Please hit the notification bell um, so you get notified of videos like this. And you know, leave me a comment if you like these videos or you know whatever. And I appreciate it. And thank you.